Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. I appreciate Pastor Andy. Uh, he did a tremendous job last Sunday, did he not? Uh, those of you who are here, we say amen to that. Appreciate that. Uh, so two weeks ago, I preached on hell. Uh, last week, Pastor Andy uh, taught about divorce. And today, we're going to talk about money. And so if you're here next Sunday, it probably won't be very many of you, uh, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about love and compassion. But we're in Mark chapter 10, and let's stand as we read God's Word, Mark chapter 10 in verse 17. The Holy Spirit says today through John Mark, and, and as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the man said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You may be seated. Father in heaven, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, let this mess be a message for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of your decisions involve or revolve around money? A lot of them, right? There's one theologian that said, we got our mind on our money and our money on our mind. <laughs> Robert Frank, who writes for the Wall Street Journal, did a survey uh, that, that they did a nationwide survey that, that talked to millionaires all over the country. And they asked them, 
How much money do you need to have to feel secure? And, and it was regardless of how much the money the person had, is pretty much regardless of the person, each of them pretty much said, I need twice as much as I currently have. Robert Frank went on to say that the problem with money is that it always is playing bait and switch with us. As soon as you have some, you want more. And the more you have, the more you want, which is the definition of an addiction. I mean, isn't it amazing? It doesn't matter how much money you make, you always find a way to spend it. I mean, if you're making $50,000 a year, you'll spend $50,000 a year. If you make 100, you'll spend 100. If you make 250, if you make 300, if you make a million, you will find ways to spend it. And yet many of us, regardless of how much money we make, how much uh, possessions we incur, we still don't think we have any money. The irony is, is as, as Americans, we are the wealthiest 1% of humanity in the world. No one else lives better than Americans in many places in the world. I mean, the richest 10% of Americans, a combined 25 million people, have an income greater than the poorest 43% of the world's population, which is over two and a half billion people. And yet we don't feel like we have enough. And you can be rich, you can be poor, and the idol of money can grab a hold of your heart. And, and so today, as we talk about this issue, it's, it's deeper than money. I want you to understand that. And this isn't just a sermon on giving, although if you want to give, you can. <laughs> this is an issue, this is a message about your heart. Because if you want to see where your heart is, follow the money. Now, we're on the road with Jesus to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, we know that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified, he's going to rise again. And along the way, as Jesus is spending his last moments with his disciples, he is teaching them every opportunity that he can what it means to follow him. And so as we go through these next few weeks we're going to see that Jesus is going to have a lot of interactions with different people from different backgrounds. He, he just had an interaction with the Pharisees. Pastor Andy talked about that last week. He, on the heels of this episode with this man, he, he met with a group of children. And, and, and then you're going to have later on, he's going to meet with the, uh, the, the, the Herodians. And he's going to meet with the Sadducees. And he's going to meet with all these people. And every interaction that Jesus has, he's teaching something. And in almost every moment, he's challenging the assumptions of that day. He's also challenging the values of the people of that day. And just as Jesus was challenging the assumptions of that day, he's also challenging the assumptions of our day. And just as he challenged the values of that day, he's challenging the values of our day. And so what Jesus is going to teach in this little episode is he's going to address how money and possessions have a hold of our hearts. And, and what he's going to do is he's going to deal with the question that bothers us all by giving us an answer that challenges us all. So let's just unpack that. Number one, the question that bothers us all. As Jesus was now leaving Galilee into Judea on his way to Jerusalem, a man ran up to him. We don't know his name. He could be Bob, he could be Larry, he could be whoever. We don't know his name. Luke tells us that he was young and he was a ruler of the Jews. 
Now, historically, we kind of know the dude as the rich young ruler. Now, what does it mean that he's a ruler? Not that he was a king or a governor. More than likely, he was a ruler of the synagogue. That is, he was a wealthy guy that was an influential guy, a spiritual guy who maintained the synagogue in his village. And so, here is a man who comes to Jesus, and the Bible says that he ran. Now, rich guys didn't run in that day. Maybe rich guys don't run in our day either. But rich guys in that day didn't run, and here this guy runs, and the reason why he's running is because he's got a question. It's burning in his mind, burning in his soul. And so he kneels down. Now, this was something that also people in that day didn't do. They didn't kneel before other people. But yet, he comes to Jesus, runs to him out of character, kneels before Jesus, totally out of character for a rich, young ruler. And then he greets Jesus with a customary greeting. Now, in this day, you normally greeted people with flattery. So he came to Jesus and says, good teacher. Now, y'all know the difference between flattery and gossip? Flattery is what you say to someone's face that you never say behind their back. All right? Gossip is saying behind someone's back what you never say to their face, and therefore you better not get them mixed up, right? And so this guy comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, finally, someone's asking this question. This was the question that was on his mind. Now, on the surface, the dude seemed like he had it all together. I mean, he's rich, he's young, he's powerful, but there's something missing in his life. And so he goes to Jesus to find an answer to the question that was bothering him so, and the question was, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, the Jewish mindset of eternal life, when we think eternal life, we're thinking heaven. And, and the Jewish mindset, it was heaven, but, but the Jewish mindset in that day thought of the world in two ages. The present age, which is the age that we live in now, is an age of trouble, it's an age of suffering, it's an age of sorrow. And then the age to come, which would be when Messiah ushers in a new uh, world in which all of the sin and injustice of this world is, is judged, and then now you have this new heaven and a new earth, and this guy says, man, I need to make sure that I've got my reservations. I need to make sure that I'm in. I need to make sure that I do everything I can on earth so that I can one day get into heaven. Now, as we look at this guy, he's, he looks like a religious seeker. I mean, he is someone that every pastor and every church in America would love to have on their team and would love to have as a member of their church. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you know, this guy would be a tither, okay? He's pious. He's going to be a, 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 someone that's going to increase the status and the notoriety of, of the disciples. I mean, probably the disciples say, man, Jesus, we need to get this guy on our team. He is awesome. He would be a great addition. He'd be a great benefactor. We would be able to do things. He would open doors. He's a mover. He's a shaker. And instead of Jesus responding with flattery, what does he say to him? He says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. So Jesus answers his flattery with a riddle. It's an answer that no one would expect, and it somewhat seems a little disrespectful, but Jesus, from the very onset, wanted to establish who he was and what good is. See, he is God, and there's none good but God. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't good people, but, but good people is a relative term. What, what Jesus is getting at is that there is only one who is uniquely good, and that is God, and Jesus is essentially saying that I'm not a good man, I'm the God man. 
But, but more than that, Jesus was dismantling this man's worldview. He was dismantling this man's view of who was good and who was bad. And essentially, he's somewhat asking him, are you really as good as you think you are? You know, most of us, we have in our minds who the good people are and who the bad people are. And it's typically in relative terms. And so what, what this guy thought is often what we think. We think that being a good person was being relatively good compared to someone else who isn't as good as you think you are. Well, Jesus here is saying that, listen, guys, listen, man, goodness is not relative to other people. Goodness is not relative to yourself. Goodness is relative to God. There's none good but God. Now, we tend to divide people into two categories. We divide them between the good guys and the bad guys. And, and the good guys and the bad guys, whoever gets in that category is in the eyes of the beholder. And so in our world, the good guys are those who think like us, act like us, live like us, and believe like us. The bad guys are those who don't do what we do, don't think like we do, don't act like we do, don't believe like we do. And what happens is, is that we categorize people between good and bad, typically relative to ourselves. And so anyone who contradicts me, contradicts my way of life, doesn't live how I think they should live, is a bad guy. And so, if you're on my team, if you're on Team Allen, you're a good guy. If you're on the other team, then you're a bad guy. I mean, that's what's going on in March Madness right now. If you're a Kentucky fan, you're a good guy. If you're not, you're a bad guy, right? That's how it should go. That's, so what I'm getting at is that's what Jesus is doing. He's dismantling this man's worldview. And then he goes to verse 19 and he says, you, you know the commandments. He takes them to Moses. And in doing so, he's almost kind of asking, hey, how did you make your money? See, in, in, in ancient Israel, most people were poor. Very few were wealthy, and often those who were wealthy are like Zacchaeus or others who got their money by lying and stealing and cheating. And so Jesus asks him about the six commandments. He, he says, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done the other? Ha, have, you, have you stolen? Have you murdered? Have you committed adultery? Have you lied about it? And so he basically says, how did you get to be who you are and how did you, get to, how did you have what you got? Have you, have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you dishonored your parents? Have you defrauded somebody? And the guy says, no. I, I have kept the law since my bar mitzvah. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't kiss girls who do. I'm innocent, I'm Torah observant. I'm a good guy, Jesus. I'm a good guy, Jesus, just like you. But Jesus, I've got this gnawing feeling. There's just something, Jesus, that's missing. And I need to know, what do I need to do to fix it? Now, notice here, Jesus doesn't call the dude a liar. I mean, God didn't just say, <laughs> yeah. no, he accepts that this man has kept the six commandments. And, and listen, this guy did not get what he had through lying and stealing and cheating. He got what he had through discipline, through vision, through delayed gratification, through patience. But even though this guy was relatively good, he knew he wasn't good enough. Now, if you were to ask any devout Jew, especially a guy like this dude, 
He would have known the answer to his own question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If you were to go to a rabbi in Jesus' day and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The rabbis would say, well, you need uh, to uh, obey the laws of God and avoid all sin. And this guy would have said, well, I've done that. But there's something missing. So he's going to Jesus. He, he, he goes to the right person with the right posture and asks the right question. But the problem is, he's depending on doing something to go to heaven. You know, if you, I've literally, I've been around the world and I've been in Eastern Kentucky and, and I've seen things and I've talked to people. And, and one, of the, one of the things I found is pretty universal is that a lot of people believe that good works is the key to getting to heaven. You know, one of the questions that I often ask people, I've asked this probably thousands of people, if not hundreds of people, and I ask them this question, in your, I ask them this question, in your opinion, what does it take for you to go to heaven? What does it take for you to be right with God? And, and often, here's what I hear. We need to believe in Jesus and be a good person, and you go to heaven. Now, they may not say it exactly like that, but it's kind of the gist of it. And maybe you're in this room or you're watching online and you're saying the same thing. Well, if you were to ask me, preacher, uh, how is it that in my opinion I can go to heaven? Well, I believe you gotta go to church, you gotta be a good person, you gotta believe in Jesus, maybe even pray some prayer, and if made, then, then, then you can go to heaven. But the problem is this. If going to heaven is dependent upon me being a good person, then how good do I have to be to be good enough? Like, how good do I have to be? You know, everyone is born with this inner insecurity. Every one of you, all, all eight billion people born on planet Earth, breathing the oxygen right now, are all born with this inner insecurity. And the inner insecurity asks this one question, am I enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I skinny enough? Am I good looking enough? Am I good enough? Because we're constantly, the, the issue of the human heart, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, or an ambivert, you're constantly trying to prove yourself. Either you're trying to prove yourself to others, or you're trying to prove yourself to yourself. Because deep down inside, you know you're not everything you need to be. I mean, that's, that's why advertisement, and that's why when you watch commercials, one of the things you'll see is kind of universal, is that basically every advertisement says you're not enough unless you buy this product we're selling. So we buy it because we think, hey, if I could just get this, if I could just have that, if I could do this and that, then I will be what I need to be. And, and here's the truth. Compared to other people, there are days I feel like I'm a pretty good person, right? Anybody else? Like there's some days, man, I look at that guy and say, man, I'm a, I'm a winner compared to that dude. So, and I mean, put your halo, take your halo off, let's be honest, right? I mean, some of you all, you can strut sitting down, you're so cocky. But compared to God, 
I know I'm never good enough. And that's why deep down inside, I know I'm not enough. And that's why this is the question that bothers us all. What can I do? And, and so this man goes to the right person and he asks the right question. But he's gonna get an answer that's gonna challenge us all. Here's the answer. Jesus looks at him, verse 21. The word there is he looked deeply. He scrutinized him. He loved them. The only time in Mark's gospel that it says explicitly that Jesus loved someone, doesn't mean he didn't love everybody, but he loved this dude. He looks at him. And he says, you lack one thing. One thing. And the guy's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. There's one. And you've got the, what is it, Jesus? I knew it. What is it? And Jesus looks at him and he says, here's the one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. And dude's like, say what? <laughs> it wasn't what I was expecting. I mean, the rabbis said in Jesus' day that the most you're supposed to give the poor is 20%. This is 100%. What, 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 what? Well, listen, Jesus was not teaching that you must be poor to go to heaven. And he's also not teaching that your ethical life will bring you eternal life. This is hyperbolic language. I mean, the, fair, the, the, the rabbi said 20%. Jesus here said 100%. We know there's a little wee little dude named Zacchaeus. He gave 50% and he got to heaven. Maybe he got a discount that day. I don't know. Because he was short. Maybe it's just relative to your sight. I don't know. I mean, the shorter you are, the less you have to give. The taller you are. Man, some of us are in trouble, right? <laughs> this is hyperbolic language. Jesus is not teaching that you can buy your way into heaven. Here's what it is. Stay with me and listen to me. Because this is the point. Jesus, in saying what he said, was getting to the heart of this man's need by speaking to what was a hold of this man's heart. This dude turned his earthly wealth into his God. See, he was right. I don't lie, I don't steal, I, don't, I haven't murdered anybody, I've not committed adultery, I've not dishonored my mom and dad. He was right. He, he didn't break those six, but he broke rule number one. You know what rule number one is? You shall have no other gods before me. And if you break that one, you broke them all. This man turned his wealth into his identity, security, and his hope. He was banking on his good deeds and his money to mean something to earn a spot into heaven. Tim Keller puts it best. He says, Jesus is saying here, if you want to follow me and have eternal life, of course you shouldn't do bad things. But if you just repent of doing bad things, all it will do is make you a religious person. He says, if you want eternal life, if you want to get over that nagging sense that there's something missing, 
then you must change how you relate to your stuff and to your successes. You must repent of what you've been using and how you've been using it. Basically, you don't only, to go to heaven, you don't just repent of the bad things you have done against God, but you repent of the good things you're holding on to rather than God. What Jesus was calling this man to do was to follow him, to surrender his life to Jesus, to put his faith and trust in Jesus alone, not his wealth, not his accomplishments. Jesus was saying, I want you to imagine your life with no money, no inheritance, no inventory, no servants, no mansions. All you have is me. Is that enough? Now, listen, Jesus does not demand that you sell all of your possessions to follow him. But he does demand that when you come to him, nothing can be off limits. See, we, we, we don't come to God, we don't approach Jesus trying to negotiate eternal life. There's no art of the deal with Jesus. It's total surrender to Jesus. C.S. Lewis said that we do not come to, to Jesus as bad people trying to become good people. We come to Jesus as rebels laying down our arms. See, this statement was not Jesus wanting something from this man. It wasn't that, you know what, my mission, Jesus' Jesus' mission is not just to help all the poor people. Jesus is saying, man, if you just gave us money, do you know how many Love Naples projects we could do? If you just give all this money, you know how many churches we can plant? If you just give this money, do you know all the things that we could do? We could even name you on the buildings. It's not what, listen, when Jesus is saying this, this isn't, this isn't self-serving to Jesus. It's not what Jesus wanted from the man. It's really what Jesus wanted for the man. What Jesus wanted for this man is he was in this moment offering him freedom. Because the thing that was so powerful in this man's life was powerful because this man had not surrendered to the one who was more powerful than that thing. See, when, when you hear me or others talk about giving and generosity in the church, it's not that we want something from you. Now, we'll take your money <laughs> and we'll use it for the kingdom of God, but it's not what we want from you. What generosity is about is what we want for you. In my heart, I can be very greedy. And some of you all, maybe you, you struggle with greed. Maybe you, you're stingy or, you know, some of y'all, you ever know somebody that's so tight they squeak when they walk? I mean, some of you, some of you wives, you testify about your husbands. You know? And it's because we've made this our identity. We've made this our security and, and we're in bondage to it. So what does this God do? He knew there was one thing he was missing. He comes to Jesus. Jesus tells him this, this thing. Sell it all. And follow me. And the Bible says in verse 22, disheartened, he went away sorrowful. The word here, sorrowful, is only found this moment and also later on in Mark's gospel 
uh, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says that Jesus' soul was sorrowful. This man was grieved deeply. See, that's what, that's what your idols will do. These things you're holding on to, you know you shouldn't hold on to them, but you hold on to them anyway. Well, this moment, he was not willing to let go of his money. He didn't mind Jesus as the teacher, but he didn't want Jesus as his Lord. And so the Bible says, the commentary is, he left disheartened, very sorrowful, because he had great possessions. He walks from God and walks to his false God. He was enslaved. His money owned him. His possessions possessed him. Why? Because his eyes were blind. He didn't, he didn't see how sinful he was. He thought relatively compared to everybody else, I'm a good person. I don't really need you, Jesus. I, I need my money. I don't need you. His eyes are blind. You know why his eyes were blind? Because his hands were full. He was holding on to his stuff rather than embracing Jesus. And, and that's why his face is sad because when he ran to Jesus, he ran with excitement. When he walks away from Jesus, he walks depressed because he's walking away from the only one who can give him the joy his heart is longing for. You know what I, I found? Most people don't love God. They love themselves. This man didn't come seeking God. You know what he came? He, he came seeking Jesus to be an add-on. Any of your kids have Crocs? Y'all know what Crocs are? Anybody know what, anybody, anybody doesn't know what a Croc is? All right, she doesn't. Somebody go and show her, all right, a little late after the service. Crocs are these shoes, little rubber shoes. I've got a pair, literally, these suckers are like, they're old. They're older than all my kids. They still work. I mean, heaven and earth will pass away, but your Crocs will not. I mean, them <laughs> suckers will last. Well, back when I did Crocs, you couldn't wear socks with Crocs. Now, you see, all the, all the cool kids wear socks and Crocs. It is a shame. I mean, back, it's, like, it's like back in my day, you never wore high waters. Y'all know, everybody know what a high water is? Yeah. Nowadays, you dress like Noah's flood is coming. I mean... <laughs> Everybody's kids were in the high waters. Why? Because you got to show the shoes off, right? It's all about the kicks. See, I'm hip. I'm hip. I got two of them, all right? So these Crocs, it's not enough that these kids wear Crocs. They get these little things called giblets. You know what a giblet is? Now, a giblet, now if you didn't know what a Croc was, you definitely, a giblet is not like a, a body part of a chicken, all right? A giblet is, <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, it's these little things you stick in the holes in the Crocs. And those suckers are almost as expensive, if not more expensive, than the dirt shoe himself. And these kids, the cool kids, they got the little giblets that's got cool stuff on it. And, and these kids, they love it, and they trade it, and they spend Now, why am I telling you all this stuff? Because I think a lot of people want Jesus to be a giblet. They want Jesus, they want to wear their Crocs, and they want to put a little Jesus on there so everybody thinks, ooh, you like Jesus. They want Jesus to be an add-on. A lot of people want Jesus to be an add-on. They don't want Jesus to be the whole thing. 
See, is Jesus more beautiful to you than your bank account? Is Jesus more beautiful than you, to you than your retirement account? Do you see money as a master or as a tool? And do you see Jesus as a tool and money your master? That's why verse 23, Jesus looked at his disciples and says, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom. Now, you're like, amen. I agree with Jesus. It's hard. I'm stinking rich people. I moved to Naples to get away from them rich people. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, damn, blab it. Well, let me let you in on something. We is the rich people, all right? If you're not, the poorest American lives better than a king did 100 years ago. Do you know that two and a half, almost three billion people live on less than $2 a day? Next weekend when we have Compassion Sunday, most of those families, I've been in their homes, they live on less than $2 a day. Most Christians in the world live in abject poverty. And that's why it's really hard for Americans to truly surrender to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus put it this way. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, there's been a lot of guys trying to tell you what Jesus is saying here. Here's what Jesus was saying. It is hard, it's impossible for a camel, the biggest animal in that day, to go through the eye of a needle, the smallest opening in that day. Anybody ever tried to thread a needle? You will lose your religion. <laughs> Most scholars that agree with me, I'm just kidding. Most scholars will say this is a first century joke. No, no camel can go through the eye of a needle. Some well, preacher, it's not, a, it's not a real needle. The eye of a needle was a little door on the side of a wall in the wall in Jerusalem, and it's that the, the camel had to get down on his knees to go through. If you want to believe that, you can believe it, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Because what Jesus is saying here is that just as it's impossible for a big old camel to go through an eye of a needle, it's impossible for not only a rich person to go to heaven, for anybody to go to heaven on their own. That's why verse 26, the disciples were like freaking out. That's in, the, that's, that's in the Bible right there. They were astonished. Because in their mindset, if you were rich, that means that God, you're blessed. You got God's favor. If you're wealthy, that means that you are right with God. That's what Job's friends said, right? That was the Jewish prosperity theology. The rich have God's favor and the poor have God's disfavor. Well, that ain't true. And so the disciples are like, well, Jesus, like, you're saying that guy can't in? That guy's rich, that guy's young, that guy's a ruler of the synagogue. If that dude doesn't get in, how are we gonna get in? And here's what he says. Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, the point that Jesus is making is not that it's hard for rich people to go to heaven. The point that Jesus is making is it's impossible for anyone to go to heaven on their own. What did this guy say? What can I do to get, to get to heaven? What can I do to have eternal life? And basically, Jesus is saying to this guy, trying to prove to this guy, you can't do anything to go to heaven. Because salvation is not a work of man for God. Salvation is a work of God for man. It's not something we do for God, it's something that God must do for us. Either Jesus saves us or we're lost. Humanly speaking, a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. 
But with God, a camel can go through the eye of a needle. And sinners, by God's grace, can go to heaven. There is no one too far. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Let's end. Wealth makes it hard to go to heaven because it distracts us from our need for a savior. Wealth creates a false sense of self-sufficiency. But the reality is we cannot save ourselves. No matter, no matter, no amount of good works, church attendance, money given will get you to heaven. It's impossible to save yourself. But with God, all things are possible. It is impossible for me to see Jesus as beautiful and more powerful than money on my own. It is impossible for me to change my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It is impossible for me to go to heaven by adding things to my life. It is impossible for me to be adopted by God just by being born. But what is impossible with me is not impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. But they're not just possible. Through Jesus, they're available. How are they available? Stay with me. Don't leave. Please don't leave. How are they available? How can I know that I can be enough? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? How can I know? How can I know? Verse 21, subtle statement. The Bible says Jesus loved him. Some of you need to hear this. Look up at me, please. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He does. Nobody else may love you, but he does. I promise you. Why did Jesus love this man? Well, in a sense, Jesus could identify with him, right? I mean. Jesus was, 20, was, was 33 years old, 32, 33 years old. He was young. Jesus was a ruler. He ruled the heavens and the earth and the universe. All things were made by him and for him. Without him, nothing was made. Nothing exists. He is in charge. And Jesus is rich. He's far more rich than this dude. And he left it all behind. He who was rich became poor. He who lived in splendor was born in squalor. 
Jesus went into a poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. And he is saying to this rich man, if you sell all that you have, give to the poor, heaven's treasure shall be yours. And he was saying this on the way to the cross. Or on the cross, Jesus would give his entire life away. He didn't just leave the splendors of heaven but he suffered on the cross. Why would he do that? Why would he do it? He did it for you, and he did it for me. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples is this, is that if I gave it all away to get you, then why won't you give it all away to get me? And here's the thing, me end. Stay with me, don't leave. There is nothing that Jesus asks from us that is more than what Jesus gave for us. There is nothing you will give him that is more than what he has given you. And so if you're here and you've never trusted him as your savior, and you've got that question that's bothering you, today, you can surrender your life to him. Today, you can get it nailed down. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you're here in this room or you're watching online and you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, and you want to. You've got this little question, it's burning, maybe there's butterflies in your stomach, you just, you just feel so burdened. Today, Jesus says, if you want relief, surrender your life to me and follow me. So I wanna give you that opportunity. So if you're here and you wanna trust Jesus as your savior, would you pray a prayer like this with me? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and today I have been made aware that I cannot save myself. It's impossible for me to go to heaven on my own. But today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. All that I have is yours. All that I am is yours. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask that you forgive me and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed to trust Jesus, I'm praying that God will now give you boldness. So Father, in Jesus' name, for those who just trusted you as Savior, would you give them the boldness to make it known, to make it clear, so that others can celebrate what you have done in their life. So if you trusted Christ as your Savior, that little connection card, put your name on it, way to get a hold of you, say, I just trusted Jesus. Now, if you're in this room and you say, I'm a Christian, but there's something that got a hold of my heart other than Jesus. 
Could be money, could be fame, could be career, could be a, could be a sin, could be in a substance, could be a bad relationship, could be an emotional affair, could be a sexual affair, could be something else that's getting between me and God. Would you today ask the Lord to forgive you? Father, in Jesus' name, help us to lay it at your feet. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. If you need to come to the altar, if you want to pray, we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you just want to pray, come down to the front. Pray. Listen to the words of this song. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.